Of all the Bible verses we're supposed to take literally, I really hope Matthew 19:14 is not one of them. If it is, we all lost our tickets to the kingdom of heaven years ago. I can imagine St. Peter standing at the gates with a, you must be this tall to ride sign, except it says, you must be no taller than this to enter. After all, Jesus does say that the kingdom of heaven belongs to children. If you're ever playing hide-and-seek with Margot and you can't seem to find her, stop looking, because the rapture's come and you're stuck here with all the other broccoli-eating adults. A world without playgrounds, without Disney songs, without running barefoot for the ice cream truck, sun burning your shoulders, George Washington's paper face crumpled in your fist, heart racing. A world of tax forms and car payments and chicken nuggets that aren't shaped like dinosaurs. A world that doesn't sound too much like the kingdom of heaven. But heaven isn't just for children. It's for such as these. As Jesus says in Matthew chapter 19, in the chapter before that, he says we all must change and become like children. We must go back to who we were before society told us to stop coloring on the walls. So how do we become like children in a world that pressures us to grow up so quickly? How do we become like children in a world that keeps piling on homework and soccer practice and clarinet lessons and SAT prep until we're too overwhelmed to act like children? Or in far too many other cases across the sea, a world that fights, that wages war, that forces children to learn the names of different types of bomb attacks before they can even spell them. In this world, this world, how do we become like children? I wanted to figure out how. Because if Jesus says we should do it, we should probably do it. And in this quest to resurrect our inner childhood, what better teachers could we have than children? For confidentiality purposes, I've changed the names of the campers, but these stories are all actual things that happened this summer at my summer camp. Now listen as we learn about simplicity from Andrew, curiosity from Rachel, humility from Amy, and wonder from Caleb. Leading a Bible study with a group of six-year-olds is like trying to capture the collective attention of a herd of cats in a room full of laser pointers. One day, a counselor takes his group of six-year-olds who have made it very clear they would rather be playing Ghostbusters, sits them down and asks them, how big do you think God is? Now I want you all to think about that for a moment. How big do you think God is? Do you have an answer in your head? When this counselor asked how big do you think God is, tiny little six-year-old Andrew raised his hand and said, 10,002. No unit of measurement. And like 10,002 is a pretty big number for a six-year-old. But it's also a big number in the Bible. See, what Andrew didn't know at the time was that Biblical Hebrew does not have a word to describe specific measurements beyond the thousands. There is no word for million. God kind of was 10,002 before language developed to accommodate all the things we humans wanted to count. Like plots of land, or piles of gold, or the circumference of planets, and sometimes I wonder if the reason we love counting things is because you can't own something until you can count it. You can't own something until you know how big it is or how valuable it is. You can't own God until you know what size cage to build him. But let's stop counting for a moment. In the eyes of a child, God is simple. Andrew didn't need to calculate some number in the billions. He just saw God for what she is. Expansive, wide-ranging, far-reaching. 
He just picked a number that felt right to him. I think adults get caught up in measuring God and trying to attach all these labels like complex, vengeful, merciful, omniscient, man, woman, and that's not inherently bad, but the problem arises when we use these words not in awe or in love, but in fear of our own lack of understanding. If we can quantify and categorize God, we can understand him, but the simplicity, simplicity of a child sees God, feels God, and translate that experience into whatever metaphor is right for the moment. Simplicity confronts the complexity of God without demanding an explanation. I remember visiting the junior group's campfire devotion one night. These kids are in the 8 to 10 year old range and are stereotyped as being easy to counsel because they don't ask hard questions and they don't require much intellectual stimulation. So I'm sitting by the campfire when Rachel raises her hand and says, is God a person or a force? <laughs> and I think, girl, you can just barely count your age on both hands. You have no business asking questions that deep. Except she does. How many times have your parents met your curiosity with an answer like, because I said so, or because that's just the way it is? Why do we see children as less deserving of proper answers? The church has this fatal habit of complaining that youth don't go to church anymore and rebuking their curiosity all in the same breath. Kids have questions. Kids have intelligent questions. Kids have scary questions. The kind that shake up our faith and force us to consider new possibilities. The kind that make adults uncomfortable. Because we are taught from a young age that adults have it all figured out. And when children make us feel like we don't have it all figured out, it is tempting to cast them away. But remember what Jesus said to the disciples when they spoke sternly to those who brought the children forward. He said, let the little children come to me and do not stop them. By not entertaining their questions, we are stopping them. By not asking those questions, we are stopping ourselves from becoming like children and coming to Jesus how he asks us to, with simple curiosity. In the next age group up, we have Amy. Now, I'm sure you've all met a kid like Amy. She's the girl who has a constant smirk on her face, who starts trouble with the other campers before we even reach breakfast on the first full day. She comes up to me one afternoon looking mad as a hornet in a jar, and so I ask her what's wrong. Got an attitude, she says. Why? And she explains, I just do. So at question box devotion one night, when I read aloud the question, why doesn't God answer me when I pray? Amy is the last person I expect to raise her hand. In fact, only staff members are supposed to answer questions, and I'd never heard Amy say anything that didn't imply she was looking to fight someone. But when she raised her hand, I decided to let her answer. The surprised group of campers and counselors fell silent, waiting to see what she would say. And she spoke. Sometimes people focus so hard on hearing what they want God to say that they close their ears to what he's actually saying. Wisdom so simple it could be found in a fortune cookie came from the heart of a camper whose reputation was starting drama, whose reputation was, we need to teach her and yet there she was teaching us. See, children know they don't know everything. And maybe it's all the years of studying for tests and being pressured to know everything that causes us to forget that. We think we know everything, including what God's supposed to say to us when we pray. 
The humility of a child is what opens our ears to God. And once we get God's answer, once we see what it is she says and does and gives and takes, how do we respond? Caleb was in his second week of camp when he asked my coworker if we were doing communion again. He thought it was cool that sanctified bread and grape juice could wash his sins away. Now, Caleb is a lot like Amy in that his behavior had counselors feeling lost and discouraged. How do you reach a kid who talks to his friends during Bible study, who refuses to participate in activities, and who won't stop cursing no matter how many times you ask him? My coworker responded to him, you know, communion is just a physical representation of the grace God already gives us. Your sins aren't just forgiven when you take communion, it's any time. You just have to ask. And he sat there in silence for like five minutes. Caleb hadn't been silent once since he arrived on camp property, and here he was, in quiet contemplation at the awesome power of God's grace. Now, we as a community take communion once, sometimes twice a week. Do you still stop in amazement at what this sacrament symbolizes? Or have you fallen into the trap too many adults fall into? taking God's grace for granted. Just another Thursday night routine, right? Nothing particularly special about grocery store bread and a bottle of Welch's. While I tend to believe that holding out on vegetables is the easiest way to stay a child, I think a better way is to look at everything with childlike wonder. Do you ever just look at trees? At the sky? At the flower that's growing in the cracks of the cement? Do you ever marvel at the fact that cheddar cheese isn't originally orange? Do you ever look at a stranger on the bus and stare in awe at how uniquely designed they are and all the moments throughout all of history that had to come together to get them there, alive, on that bus with you, you, another product of a fragile history that could have so easily turned out differently? Jesus calls us to enter his kingdom as a child. So if we are also called to bring the kingdom here to earth, it would seem an impossible task without doing that as a child too. It is simplicity that brings us to God, curiosity that dictates how we interact with God and what we ask, humility that affects the way we receive the answer to our questions or lack thereof, and wonder that determines what we do with those answers. When Caleb was struck with the wonder of communion, he went and explained it to other campers. He couldn't hold this beautiful sacrament inside him, and he had to share it. Would it be easier to share our faith with others if we remembered how wonderful it is? Just look around you. Look at some of God's creations, the zebra, the squid, the platypus. Like, God definitely created the world through the eyes of a child. The sunset with all its colors looks like a finger painting. Humans with all their exaggerated and nuanced emotions are like storybook characters. And the naked mole rat straight up looks like something a nine-year-old would draw in the margin notes while not paying attention to a math class. <laughs> Don't get lost trying to grow up. Don't try to enter the kingdom of heaven with a briefcase and a pocket protector. After all, even God took nap time on the seventh day but only after six days of arts and crafts. Mm -hmm.